Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. The show that harkens back to the smoky days of the 1970s. You know them, three TV channels, disco and corduroy. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine, coming to you for another hour plus of fun pipe talk. And uh, my guest tonight, in fact, this is a special show. Uh, I've been holding on to this interview for a while, waiting. And with the 4th of July here in the United States coming up in the extra holiday weekend, well... Here's a little bit of an extra long bonus episode for you. My guest is Wayne Powers, and Wayne is a uh, jazz performer and was on television doing uh, in the 70s and 80s and runs a tea importing business as well as, uh, at one point, imported pipe tobacco. So... Uh, sat down with Wayne and had a wonderful conversation and you get to hear all of that and it went so long that you know what no pipe parts tonight sorry folks Uh, but you do get a lot of Wayne and as this show's going out I am heading back from Las Vegas from the IPCPR and hopefully everything went well Uh, should be posting some stuff about that I know I'm trying to get better at this social media stuff so keep an eye on uh, Facebook and Instagram for that. Uh, daughter's back in uh, in the United States and is in Los Angeles for a week. And in fact, uh, we'll be home shortly. So we're looking forward to seeing her. Thank you all for all the good wishes. Trip went well. Uh, reminder. Yeah, it's the summertime, so please uh, keep downloading and sharing the Pipes Magazine radio show. Share it in your uh, share it on your forums on Facebook, wherever you happen to go. Let people know about it. Let people know that you like it, and uh, we'll keep this thing coming for you. All right, uh, that's enough of that. We got a uh, somewhat odd show for tonight, but I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. So uh, everybody. Grab your pipe, sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and I am digging, I'm, I'm jumping into deep waters here because my guest has more talent well let, let's let me put it this way if i took all of the talent in my body it might fill up one section of one of his fingers uh wayne powers is uh, i it, you're an actor singer uh radio show host you are a man with a knowledge of tea that i'm going to heavily rely on and at one point, you were an importer of pipes and or tobacco products. So, Wayne Powers, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you, Brian. Hey, it's uh, great to be with you today. 
it is uh, it it's really an honor and uh, and I've told <laughs> I told Wayne I'm kind of stalking him because you go back to LA when I was in Van Nuys then you were here in Charlotte now you're off in Chicago so I guess uh, I got to tell the wife we're moving to Chicago eventually yeah, you're stalking me, and I'm about to call. As soon as we finish this interview, I'm calling the sheriff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry, he doesn't live here anymore. Um, so let, let's go to the begin. Let's go to the beginning, and we'll we'll do this kind of quickly because your IMDb page is filled with TV shows of my youth, uh, including my favorite Laverne and Shirley. So you started out as a actor slash comedian. Well, and I was doing, I started out in New York when I was 16 as a nightclub singer. And I was terrible, but I was singing in, in, <laughs> in New York. And then uh, uh, went to college and did plays. And, and then I graduated college, did a nightclub act again, a comedy nightclub act, and a musical nightclub act. And this is a matter of fact, it was a 1920s sort of uh, retro band that I had there. And um, uh, we opened a speakeasy nightclub, and it was a real big success. And uh, then I started doing radio. I, 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 I actually uh, was a guest on a talk radio show there, and it was on a Sunday night, in the, and it was a rainy Sunday night. I'll never forget this. And when I left the studio after my interview section had, had finished, the program director had showed up and said, uh, listen, I want to talk to you. Would you like your own show? <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I got my start in radio. And, uh, and I worked at, uh, at that time, it was the number one FM station in the country, KSLQ in St. Louis, uh, 98 KSLQ. And, uh, and then from there, I did other radio sh shows in St. Louis and then uh, was uh, doing radio in Charlotte and uh, WBT, which is the 50,000 watt clear channel. Yeah. It's the, it's the oldest, second oldest radio station, I think, in the country. Uh, but it goes Canada to Cuba after dark. It's an amazing radio station. I was there and uh, then uh, went to Kalamazoo, Michigan, morning show, another heritage station where Harry Carey got his start and Tom Schneider got his start. And, uh, you know, it, was, uh, it uh, uh, that was uh, Kalamazoo, WKZO, did the morning show there. And then uh, left Kalamazoo and came to Chicago where I'm not doing radio anymore, uh, but I'm back doing my music, and, you know, and... Uh, uh, but but when I was in Los Angeles, I had gone there because I was doing theater, and I did a um, a dinner theater show with Dick Sargent, who was the, the husband on Bewitched. He was the second husband on Bewitched. Yeah. And uh, and I had previously done the other the same show with uh, Jim McCrell, who was the host of an NBC game show called Celebrity Sweepstakes, uh, which was a, a very popular show with Carol Wayne and you know Mitzi. McCall and Charlie Brill and you know the panel of celebrities and um, and so they they had both said you know Dick Sargent was the one who said you know what are you doing in St. Louis you know you're a sitcom <laughs> actor you gotta you know get out of St. Louis you need to be in LA you can't even be in New York you have to be in LA that's where all your work is so uh, when I came back from being on the road I was doing the news on a local TV station doing feature stories on the news and um, and I gotten fired from that station, the NBC affiliate, and uh, and then the CBS O and O uh, in town, uh, Camo X wanted wanted me, but they were dragging their feet, and they were not going to offer me any more money than I was making at the other station. 
And I said, you know what? This is a time to, you know, I'm in between, you know, my lease is up on my townhouse. And, you know, I packed my dog and everything and I owned in a U-Haul and drove out to L.A. <laughs> Stayed on a friend of mine's couch uh, yeah. with my dog, which was not very, you know, that was uh, that wasn't very comfortable. But but I was uh, 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 going over to McCrell's house actually, and uh, he said, "Well, come on over and visit." You know, I said, "Okay." So I had never been to Los Angeles. I mean, my idea of the West Coast was New Jersey, and. Uh, <laughs> And uh, so I went. I went out to uh, to uh, Jim McCall's house, and he had a big mansion in the Hollywood Hills, and and he had a. Uh, so I show up there, and the maid answers the door. And says, "Oh, Mr. McCall is out back." <laughs> I said, "Okay." She leads me out back, and there's a and it's a kidney shaped pool with a jacuzzi and the invitation of the kidney. Yeah. And and there's Jim McCall there, sitting there in the jacuzzi, uh, on the phone, getting a haircut. And I said, this is Hollywood. I'm here. This is great. So, uh, so, so he, he waved me off. He was on the phone, you know, he waved me off to actually finish his conversation. And in the middle of the conversation, he, he put his hand over the receiver just a minute. And he talks to me and he said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, well, gee, I was hoping I could come back here. This looks great. <laughs> yeah. so, and so he said, all right, hang on. And he said, uh, I'll, I got the guy for you. I'm sending him over tomorrow. What time you want to see him? And it turned out he was talking with Henry Mancini. Oh, God. And, and Henry Mancini, uh, I went over to meet with Henry Mancini, and that was a, a, an amazing thing. And he had this job open for, for a song plugger for his music publishing company. Now, I'd never done anything like that before, but I loved Henry Mancini. I loved that music. And so I'm sat there across the desk from Henry Mancini in, in, in on Sunset Boulevard and uh, you know right outside of Beverly Hills and, and I'm, I'm, I'm amazed and uh, we were getting along just great and I kind of thinking you know gee I haven't got a shot at this job and he uh, he does a little body language he sits back the body language you know I could sense that the meeting was coming to a close so I start to get up and he said no just a minute he said let me ask you one more question out of all the music I've ever written, he said, "What's your, what's your personal favorite?" Uh oh. I'm thinking, "Oh my god, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, Brian, exactly." I'm thinking, "Oh my god, I could blow it with this one question. What does he want me to say? What does he want me to say?" And I'm thinking, "Just tell him the truth. Just tell him the truth. You know, so truth is always the best, yeah. <laughs> the best, the best idea." So I said, "Look, Mr. Mancini, I." got to be honest with you there's nothing you've written that i i really don't really love from and i've named all these songs baby elephant the obscure ones baby elephant walk mr lucky peter gunn uh days of wine and roses uh pink panther theme you know i name all these wonderful tunes and i said i love all of them i said but there's one tune that you wrote and uh, the lyrics are pretty good i said they're not as good as the melody the melody is such a haunting melody so it's, it's a theme promotion picture and I said, and every time I hear this theme, it gives me goosebumps. It's my very favorite thing you've ever written. And he looks at me and he said, well, he said, what is, which, which song is it? And I said, it's called Two for the Road, from the motion picture Two for the Road. And he said, gets a strange look on his face and he leans back in his chair and he says, that's my favorite. 
I just went, <laughs> bang, zoom, I got this job. And of course I did. So I, I started working for Henry Mancini. I wound up administering 12 music corporations, all of his music publishing. Uh, he gave me his old office at the corner of Sunset and Vine, overlooking the Hollywood sign, mahogany paneled walls with gold records, and a, oh, wow. a you know, and a grand piano in the in my office, and a private bathroom in my office, and you know, and a, a you touch a, a button on the wall, and it opens up to a wet bar, and a private secretary, and you know, Johnny Mathis is in the building, and it was, it was incredible. So, so. So I, I I managed to fend my way through uh, through Hollywood there and pay the rent and find a place for my dog and I to live. And uh, and then uh, he was in the in the process. There was a lot of transitions happening in the music business in those days. And uh, he he and a partner were splitting up his business partner in the publishing business. And they. We're not speaking. It was not an amicable split. Well, I was the only one that they both liked and both trusted. And so I was sort of the intermediary between them. And then when the lawyers got in and they finally made the, the separation, all of his music publishing got taken over by a, a big company called Interworld. And uh, so uh, Mr. Mancini said, uh, I've got this job for you at Interworld and you know, you're going to be taking... I said, you know, I said, this is really again this is a time to to make a change i didn't come here to do this you know i don't want to wake up 20 years from now being in the music business you know as an administrator when i'm a performer you know that's what i do i didn't come here to do this i didn't come to la to do this and he's he looked at me he said i think you're crazy he said but <laughs> yeah. that's what you want follow your dream and i said i got to and so i was doing at the time i was doing <clears throat> improv comedy on friday and saturday nights in this converted ballet studio uh, with uh, some unknown guy named Robin Williams. Yeah. And uh, Robin and I, and there were five others in the group. It's called Off the Wall. Yep. And uh, he got discovered for Mork and Mindy out of that show. I got discovered for Laverne and Shirley out of that show. And so I made my network TV debut on Laverne and Shirley in 1978 without an audition. <laughs> wow the director had known me from new york and uh and when the casting director who was a fan of mine from seeing me at off the wall suggested me the the, the character who played the cop uh had been fired and uh so they needed a new cop on the show because they had these scripts written for the cop and there was no cop now suddenly because they, they fired this guy so uh, the casting director said, well, how about Wayne Powers? And I got a guy, and uh, the director said, oh, yeah, I know him. Hire him. And that was it. <laughs> Bang. And then they brought me back the very next week. So that was, uh, that's how I got into network television. And then you, you spent time doing the, you know, doing the circuit of L.A., which you know, go to go to IMDb, look up Wayne Powers, and I'm sure he was on. You were on. Yeah, well, yeah. I wound up, you know, the, the, the most fun thing I did was I had my own series on NBC for two seasons called 13 East. Yeah. And it was a hospital sitcom. We were on Saturday nights just before Golden Girls for a while. And, and it was we won our time slot every week except one. We lost by a tenth of a rate, rating point. And that was to a show called Paradise, and they had the cover of TV Guide that week because they there was some wedding uh, on the show, you know. <laughs> and uh, but so we were a, we were a hit show, and uh, Brandon Tartikoff, who was the head of NBC, left the network, 
And the new head of NBC came in and said, well, this is Brandon Tartikoff's show. And he didn't like the producer of our show. And he canceled the show, even though we're winning our time slot every week. Uh, yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Warren Littlefield, you know, he's, uh, he's on my... He's on my list, and I won't tell you which <laughs> list he's on. <laughs> there's a, I think I know that list. There's a, there's a few yeah, people that I've met that are on I, that I've list. I've been on a few a few of those lists myself, so <laughs> yeah. it's fun to have one of my own. <laughs> that's the that's the list where when they have the funeral, you want to go there and help stamp in the turf afterwards to make sure they stay yes, down. Yes, stamp in or moisten it, either one. <laughs> And not with water. Um, so when did when did you when did pipe smoking kind of come into your life? Was it? <laughs> uh, I when I was a teenager, I worked in New York in this uh, gift and stationery store, and we actually had Sheraton pipes. Wow! And we sold Dunhill tobacco. It was in an upscale uh, place in Lower Westchester County in New York, and that was my first job. I worked there since I was twelve years old. And, uh, and so I learned about pipe smoking from my first pipe was a Sheraton. (laughs) (laughs) I never went to the Dr. Graybo. I bought a Sheraton. And so, and I, and I was buying, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, Dunhill tobaccos and, and, uh, and that's, that's how I started with a pipe. And then it was on and off. And I smoked a pipe a bit when I was in college and um and then you know i've I've always had an interest in it and then became an avid pipe smoker a little bit later when i was in my late 20s early 30s and uh started collecting pipes there's a great pipe shop in los angeles called gus's smoke shop oh yeah and uh and i literally lived there yeah back room there that was just a great place to hang out and learned a lot about pipes there uh, everybody came through there, and Rick Hacker was a, a very good friend of mine. He lived around the corner, so Hacker and I spent a lot of time together, and <laughs> and, uh, uh, and that was uh, that was how we how we uh, I, I got really interested in pipes. So then there was a uh, there was a uh, magazine at the time called Pipe Smoker Magazine. Uh huh. And uh, they they I don't know Hacker somebody must have told them about me. Oh yeah, you got another. You got a TV guy who was smoking pipes. You ought to write about him. So they they did a cover story about me in my little infancy of pipe collecting, and and uh, and that got me further. And I started going to pipe shows, and you know how that goes. And there were a lot of pipe shows in those days. Martin Pulvers and and the, the San Francisco pipe shows. They were legendary. Literally, you you take over a hotel, and Everybody in the hotel was smoking a pipe. It was, I mean, everywhere in the in the lobby, in the elevator, there was <laughs> pipe smoking everywhere. It was a haze. You had to have a lantern to go down the hall, you know. <laughs> so, and it, and then uh, you know, after the show would be over, all the room doors were open, and everybody had pipes on their bed, and, you know, trading and bartering and and buying and selling pipes. So it was great. I started with you know getting my I found some of my first pre-transitional borrowings and I would go around to go around to different, uh, uh, antique stores in those days. And I, I just I found a number of pre-transitional borrowings that way. Cause people didn't know Dunhills were already starting. People were starting to figure out that Dunhills had value, but borrowings were unknown, relatively speaking. So I started my borrowing collection that way. And I love the borrowings. They just smoked so great. 
Yeah, so I guess being an actor, you had you know you had some free time in between jobs, so that would allow you to go and do all this, uh, all these Absolutely. pipe hunts. Yeah. Absolutely, It'd be more free time than I wanted. You know, actors <laughs> are always out of work, even the working actors. You know, I'll never forget. I was in, I was living in Beverly Hills, and 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 I looked at the at the stats for the Screen Actors Guild, and I was in like the top three percent, maybe I'm trying to remember, top three or four percent of earners in Screen Actors Guild, and I couldn't afford, <laughs> I couldn't afford anything. I was broke. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, something like it, something like ninety nine percent of the of the Screen Actors Guild money is paid to like a half a percent of their membership. Yeah, that's about the way it works. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or the old the old L.A. joke. How do you get an actor's attention? You yell, "Waiter, come here!" Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Taxi. Yeah, um, we're going to yeah, take so. a break right here. Then when we when we come back, we're going to talk about you importing pipe tobacco. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over twenty years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at CND as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Wayne Powers. And all right, so we're, you're, you're in L.A., you're acting, you're buying pipes, you're working around town. How do we get to the point where you are the importer for McConnell's Tobaccos? Well, uh, I you know would go to all the different pipe shops, and and there was a uh, there was a place on Ventura Boulevard called um, Cigar Warehouse. I don't know if it's still there or not. Yep. Yeah. And I would I would go in there a lot because I also smoke cigars, and uh, and so I would go in there a lot. And he had a a whole bunch of old tins of Robert McConnell tobacco oh. sitting there that had been that he didn't sell and they were the old tins and uh, he and i said well you know i'll i'll i want to try some of it he said ah, nobody buys this stuff you know he said i just have it in the back i said well sell me a tin he gave me a tin and uh and i and it had aged it was a a, a uh an english mixture and it had aged and it had it was just really something it's really smooth and wonderful and rich and, and uh so i said uh well, I, where can I get these? They don't even import it anymore. They don't make it anymore here. And I said, well, how, how much for all you got? <laughs> so I bought everything he had. I was cases of it. And, uh, and I was smoking that, and I took some up to uh, the San Francisco uh, pipe show up there. And, uh, and, uh, and I, you know, you have a table. I threw a couple of 
tins out there. I figured, you know, I'd sell them for a few bucks and and uh, trade and whatever. And everybody went nuts. And I said, oh, my God, I didn't realize I had gold there. And I said, well, how, how come this wonderful pipe tobacco is not available here anymore? And I did a lot of research. And I, I used to live in London many years ago. And uh, so I did uh, some research and I contacted, there were two brothers that owned the company in those days and, uh, and they, they hated each other. Yeah. <laughs> so they didn't get along at all. And I said, well, you know, I, I, I learned why the tobacco was so wonderful. It was made the, the way tobaccos had always been made. There were no preservatives, no flavoring, no propylene glycol, nothing like that. It was illegal in those days to put it in pipe tobacco in, in the UK. Yeah. And, uh, and all of their equipment, they had an old brick factory and all of their equipment it was the old wooden, you know, wooden presses and stuff for the, for the Scottish cake and all that stuff. And all of the great, you know, they really had access to the best leaf in the, in the world because it had been fathered to son since 1848. And so they knew everybody in the, around the world who, who could provide the very finest leaf and that's and they did that because it was their name on there you know and uh so it was great they had great pride in their product and they were manufacturing the tobacco for freeberg and trier and you know I mean, that was all yeah. mcconnell yeah you know and uh and so um uh and they were doing it the right way i mean you know so i said well I was very worried that these two older brothers were had this company. And I said, well, you know, when are your kids? He said, well, our two kids are not going to, are any interested. I think one was a lawyer, another one was a doctor. They weren't interested in the tobacco business. They had no interest. <laughs> they weren't. So I, was, so I was concerned that this wonderful heritage uh, uh, tobacco was going to go away and not even be available in the UK. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, and so I said, okay, look, uh, maybe would you be interested in, in having your tobaccos back in the, in the United States market? And they said, yeah, I said, well, I'll figure out a way to do it. So, you know, you give me the, you know, you, you give me the distributorship and I'll bring it back. And I did, you know, I, I went to the RTDA at a booth and <laughs> wound up, you know, uh, bringing McConnell tobaccos back. And then they, you know, they, uh, they retired and went to, and they sold off to a German company and it's never been the same. Yeah. So when did you have the importer ship? What years was that? Oh, please. I don't know. Early eighties, maybe. Okay. It's a blur. Yeah. Uh, early eighties, I think was, uh, uh, yeah. Early eighties had to be. Cause uh, I I've talked about it on this show many times. My, my white whale, my Holy grail of tobaccos is McConnell's red Virginia with the painted lid cans yes. before they switched yep. to the stickers. And before James B Russell picked them up, that's right. That red painted lid can and the, and the discussion and the way I found out about you about five or six years ago was the sticker said imported by WN Powers, Van Nuys, California, 91405. Right. That was all done out of my garage. Which is, that's the exact zip code that my wife and I lived in when we got married in 1990. <laughs> so yeah. I, wow. So I was like, I, you know, here, you know, I wasn't smoking a pipe back then, but that was my, you know. Yeah. It so, was strictly, I tell you, Brian, it was a labor of love, as most things in yeah. life are. 
you know, if you work it right. Everything everything you do in life should be a labor of love. If you make money at it, great. If you don't, you still have a wonderful time. So I never did it to, you know, to get rich. It, it was not designed <laughs> that way. And I didn't, you know, I didn't get rich at it. But, uh, but you know, but I, I also would bring in, you know, small quantities of, of other tobaccos that were not available in the U.S. that were available in the U.K. Because I really, even when I smoked cigarettes, I mean, I hate to, to tell you, I even smoked cigarettes at one time or a couple of times during my life. Yep, but I always too. smoked English cigarettes, always, because they had pure Virginia tobacco. And there were no A additives, and it, it was it tasted like tobacco, not like chemicals. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing with a pipe tobacco. Same thing. Oh. And uh, and the fact that they've changed those laws, and the fact that those companies are gone now, is a, I think a great tragedy. You know, you have um, <clears throat> you you still have what you call an Isle of Man that's making I think some germane. Some, some, yeah. Yeah. Germane, they makes they're making pure tobaccos, but there are very few people left that are doing it and the ones that are that are doing it i think really need to be supported we had seen numbers from uh, somewhere uh, post-world war ii 1940s in england there was about 60 different tobacco pipe tobacco manufacturers and right. now to the best of our knowledge there are two yeah and, and you know and even they there were snuff shops you know the the, the uh G. Smith and Son, I think yeah. that was still open then, and and uh, Friburg and Trier, the the bow the bow front windows that was still open, and um, you know that those are gone now. I believe everything is gone. Yeah, and, it's, and it's just a, even I I did my the first pipe event that I did working for Hulk O'Roar in Chatsworth was at Gus's smoke shop in, with Peterson Pipes in 1998, and sure. Gus's is gone. Yeah, Gus's is gone, yeah. Uh, I remember when, before Jim had it, you know, the old the old guy had it. I, I would, that was when I first used to go in there. And uh, it, was, it was always a very treasured place, and they did great pipe repairs. It was a guy that used to do all the pipe repairs, and he did it all the right way. And, and they, you know, it was just a great, really old style smoke shop where you know if you went in to buy something great if you just went in to smoke your pipe and hang out that was great too and it was like a club in the back room yeah it was a very special place and i and, and I, those were also in the days of uh, uh pipe smokers ephemeris yeah and you know and, and tom uh, you know that, those were those were all things that added enormously to the pleasure uh, and the and, and the, the character of smoking a pipe it was just such a joy i mean you know imagine lighting up a pipe and getting your new pipe smokers ephemeris in the mail that day and you sit down in a in an easy chair with a pipe and maybe a little cognac or something it was one of the great pleasures of life truly oh uh, and, and that was before the days of the internet so you had to find out about the ephemeris through somebody who knew through somebody who knew and then you'd mail and that was one of the great things yeah. about it because you felt like you were in a club and you go back in those old ephemerises and you'll see you know letters from me and uh you know i mean it, it was just a great club you you read you met people through the ephemeris and then you'd go to pipe shows and then you put a face with the name and and you were friends before you even met. Yeah. You know, that, that was a, it was a wonderful fraternity. Yeah. Uh, and, th and that's what one of the things, you know, the, the, the cliche saying is something I've always quoted, and that is a cigarette is a smoke, uh, a cigar is a pleasure, but a pipe is a companion. Uh, 
Yeah. And, and I've always believed that, and it's really true. There's a certain attitude and a certain benefit of smoking a pipe that has there's nothing else to compare with it. So moving forward, what made you move to Charlotte? Move to Charlotte? Well, uh, I actually, uh, from L.A., yeah. my kids were young. I had two boys who were very young, and... I remember the 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 day uh, I'm sitting out in the front. We had a. I lived in Sherman Oaks at the time. We had a beautiful home and in a in a uh, uh, a uh, cul-de-sac. Uh, we had a corner house, and uh, I was uh, had my older son out there riding his bike, you know, with the training wheels on the sidewalk. And I would say, you know, we'll go down to the go down to the other corner and don't turn the corner where Daddy can't see you, and then ride back and. He was doing that, you know, a couple of times, and I'm thinking, what the heck kind of way is this to ride your bike? Yeah. I'm going to say, you know, this is not, where's my, where's the childhood here? You know, when I, when I was growing up, the way to ride your bike was, you know, I'm going to ride my bike. All right, you'd be home by five o'clock for dinner. Your mother will kill you. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's the way to ride yeah. your bike. Yeah. And this wasn't that, you know, and I'm thinking, this is no, how, what kind of a childhood can I offer my children here? And they'd have one chance to grow up. And if, we mess it up. It's it's we're the ones messing it up. They're dependent on us. And I just realized that L.A. was not a good place to raise kids. And so my priorities were with my children. And I said, OK, I'm going to think about it. But I had my band and we were playing all the top jazz festivals and we had an album out and and, you know, I was doing television and just do one more you know sitcom or one more movie of the week or one more this one more jazz festival. And so, so things were moving very slowly. We really weren't moving very quickly. And uh, then uh, my kids were being driven home from private school, three o'clock in the afternoon, and there are bullet holes in the car. Two rival gangs are shooting each other, bullet holes in the car. Nobody was hurt. Yeah. But I said, uh-oh, okay, we're going now. And, you know, we, so we started really looking seriously. But again, you know, the lethargy of, you know, of the comfort of everything I had ever worked for being in Los Angeles and nowhere else, it was not easy to leave. So we're moving pretty slowly, but we're moving, but we're actually looking now. And then the Northridge earthquake happened. Got it. 4.31 in the morning, and yep. there was major damage where we were. We're a mile and a half from the epicenter. And I had my family out. I pushed my family out the front door, and my wife and my two kids, and the, the house, things are collapsing, and the chimney's coming down, and the you know, all kinds of stuff. And I have, you know, huge, like antique movie posters, you know, from the twenties and stuff. All that stuff is coming down and the HVAC is coming down through the ceiling. And, and I look at my kids and my wife and myself, and there's not a scratch on any of us. And I looked up into the sky and I said, I hear you. We're leaving now. Don't send me any more messages. We don't need any more messages. <laughs> We're going. Yeah. And so, I was looking into Wilmington at the time, had a lot of movie production going on, uh -huh. and I had never been to Wilmington, so I called a friend of mine who lived in Charlotte, and uh, he said, uh, well, if you're thinking about moving your family to Wilmington, if you will come and look at Wilmington on this particular weekend, I have a, uh, you know, I, I have a, 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 a convention here in town. If you'll come speak to our convention, We'll pick up your airfare and your and your uh, your hotel, and then you can rent a car and drive 
across the Piedmont. You see the whole of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, you're talking to somebody who just lost his house in an earthquake. You can, you bet. Okay, you want to pick up my airfare in my hotel? I'm there. So I did, and they had the TV guys speaking to, you know, their convention. And, and then I got in a car, and I drove to Wilmington. And Wilmington was great. I loved it. Found a really nice historic house there. I didn't like the schools. And my wife, uh, she's not my ex-wife, but my wife at the time was a psychotherapist, and she needed a, a particularly... Uh, a more cosmopolitan population than Wilmington could offer for her pre- for her practice and her areas of specialization. So I'm thinking, okay, Wilmington's not great for her. Wilmington's not great for the kids. The only one it's great for is me. And if it was up to me, I wouldn't be moving at all. I'd be staying right where I am. That's where my career is. So the move isn't about me. And I fell in love with Charlotte. It was April when I got there and everything was in bloom. And Charlotte was a wonderful city then. It's not quite so wonderful anymore as most cities <laughs> yeah, are. Right after I moved to it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the NFL came, the DNC came, and uh, light rail came, and we had a mayor that went to prison for, you know, it, it's like yeah. everything I tried to get away from caught up with me in, in Charlotte. And it was, uh, but before that, it was just a delightful place. So, uh, but I, so I, Charlotte was very appealing at that time, and I found a house and, uh, and moved the family there. And then I said, well, what am I going to do there? So, uh, I did some radio there. I opened a tea house. <laughs> that's, so. Yeah. And that's something that I really want to talk to you about because, uh, the website is T-Rex, T-E-A-R-E-X.com. And you started that in 1997 after you moved here, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I moved there in 94, 93, 94. And, uh, you know, scooted around there did some voiceover work and everything i could do and some radio and then uh had an idea that uh tea was a wonderful thing i always loved tea and uh and i learned a lot about tea living in los angeles and you know i could bore you with stories about how i learned about tea but i wouldn't do that but but uh but tea always fascinated me the leaf has always fascinated me tobacco and tea as well uh, and it's Camellia sinensis uh, is the leaf, and all tea is that. If it's tea, it's that, and it's a variety of that. And uh, but the the varieties of tea are infinite. There's nobody that has cataloged every tea that is available just in China. It's impossible. You can't catalog it. It's too many. And uh, so the the uh, it's a delight again. Tea, as in uh, pipe smoking is the correct usage of the leaf it's uh it's not made to just down it's made to sip and enjoy and it has like fine wine it even the the uh, terminology is very similar the the character and the bouquet and i mean they're you know being long on the palate and all of this the the terminology you would use as a wine connoisseur you would use as a tea connoisseur we're gonna take a break right here and we'll have more with wayne in just a minute Savinelli Pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark, and like you, there can only be one Savinelli.
And we are back with Wayne Powers. Wayne, am I correct in understanding that with some of these teas, once they once they grow the leaves, they'll they'll actually age them and cure them, similar to what we do with pipe tobacco. Um, well, yeah, they are. They're oxidized. There's different there's different processes that happen and the inexpensive teas are the the just like the inexpensive tobacco it's the the garbage of the leaf you know it's the lowest uh grade of tea is called fannings and dust and it's just like it sounds it's what's left over when you take the real tea leaves away that's what goes into tea bags you know when you buy a lipton tea bag or whatever not downing lipton but that's what goes in a tea bag yeah. for two reasons it's cheap and the other reason is it's just dust. It's, so it's nothing but surface area. So when water hits it, even if you're brewing it through paper, you'll still get flavor and color. So, uh, but the real leaves are what you want. You never want to use a tea bag. You always want to make uh, tea uh, in uh, loose. And so we always sell these. We sell these little baskets that fit perfectly into a cup or mug, or even into the mouth of a teapot. And it allows the tea, because when water hits tea leaves, it wants to expand five to seven times its volume. And huh. when that happens, if you use a little tea ball, you know, these little tea balls there, the, uh -huh. the, the leaf can't open. So it can't give you, can't open and give you its goodness. So you're cheating yourself. You want it open, but yet you want to separate. You always time tea, and tea is never timed by uh, color, right? It's timed with a clock. And when you buy tea from T-Rex, we always tell you how long and how, you know, what temperature water and how long to infuse it for. So you always know. And then, uh, and then you, the idea is when the time is up, you separate the solid from the liquid. So the infusion process stops. So that therefore the tea and the leaves are not there too long because if they are, the tea turns astringent, which the palate reads as bitterness and we can't discern the difference. Uh, the human palate can't discern the difference between bitterness and, and astringency. So if you ever had tea that's bitter, it's because it's sitting too long in the water. Okay. And uh, and it, so it turns astringent. And so that destroys tea. If you, you take a wonderful beverage and you, you know, you it's you turn your stomach to leather, you know, <laughs> drinking it. <laughs> it. I guess it's kind of like over-stoving pipe tobacco yeah, or sure. yeah. you know just leaving the brownies in the pan for too long and you burn them no different absolutely same deal and uh, so I, that always fascinated me and i and you know and then there there are different kinds of tea the green teas and oolongs and black teas and they're, they're fascinating to me it's all the same leaf uh you know different varieties of the same leaf but green teas and oolong teas are good for multiple infusions black tea is not Black tea, which I love, uh, but the British style of tea and the uh -huh. and the the Irish style of tea. The Irish are the number one consumers of tea per capita in the world, by the way. Very really? surprising you would think the Chinese are. No, it's the Irish. Huh. Uh, and uh, but they they put they brew black tea and they put milk in it. It's milky tea they call it. And yeah. uh, uh, and that's I love tea like that. You know, it's not a, you know, it's it's not a terrible thing to put milk in tea. Certain teas you, you want to, and certain teas you don't. Uh, certain teas respond well to milk or a little sugar. And certain teas you just want just on their own. Green teas, you don't ever want to put milk in. Oolong teas, you never want to put milk in. Gr Black tea is fully oxidized. The leaf is fully oxidized. 
oolong tea, uh, I mean, green tea is unoxidized. They they use a heat usually a heat process to halt the oxidation process, and then uh, and then oolong tea is in between, and usually anywhere between thirty to seventy percent oxidized. So there are green oolongs and more black oolongs and everything in between. And so they're very complex because they're partially oxidized. So oolong teas are among my favorites because of the complexity of it. And I've always, you know, I always like uh, complexity in, in tastes. So I'm going to put you on the spot and you've only done, I don't know, uh, thousands of hours of live radio. So being on the spot's no big deal to you. So I can do this and I'm going to kind of enjoy it uh, for uh, for the, for a basic pipe smoker that enjoys a Virginia tobacco, can you suggest a couple of teas that might complement that straight Virginia taste? Boy, that's a tough one. Um, I would say probably um, uh, a an Assam tea. Uh, if you're looking for you know something that's going to be you know, there's a sweetness to, obviously, Virginia tobacco has the highest sugar content of any tobacco leaf. So you're, you got a sweetness there, but it's a richness. So if you're looking for something that's going to be, like, rich and maybe malty, you know, rather than sharp, you know, it depends on what you're looking for yeah. to complement the, 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 uh, the tea. I mean, the, uh, the, the tobacco. If you're looking for something to complement it and to give a rich, malty roundness, then I would say an Assam tea... <clears throat> which is the basis of Irish breakfast tea. Okay. Not what you get in a store. Any, you know, I can call anything Irish breakfast tea. There's no law. You know, <laughs> but real Irish breakfast tea is what we do, and it's Assam tea from the Assam region of India. It has a rich malty character, as opposed to English breakfast tea. Again, I could put anything in a tin and call it English breakfast tea, but English breakfast tea should be a Kimun-based black tea from China. It's going to be crisper, and sharper again they both respond to milk really well in a different way but then uh you know like if you're if you like a smokiness you know there are there are teas that are more smoky and that are actually smoked and uh you know there's such a variety of, of teas that you could choose from depending on whether you want something that you want to add milk or sugar to or something you want on your own but i would stay away if you're smoking probably stay away from the green teas because they tend to be more delicate more vegetative, okay. yeah, and that probably doesn't go well. I would go with the black or oolong teas. Oolong teas have a whininess to them, especially the darker oolongs. We do um, uh, fanciest Formosa oolong, which is an incredible oolong. That goes really, it's like fine wine. It's just amazing. And then the the, uh, the black teas, if you want a black tea, that like a Kimun black tea is going to be crisp and full-bodied and uh, a long flavor that's going to be still clean, but still round. Uh, as amazing as that sounds, that would be something we call Hauya A. It's H A O Y A, and then the letter A, uh, kind of like Craven A, the tobacco, <laughs> you know, uh, which was always one of my favorites. The old Craven A was my favorite tobacco. I, that, I just I craved that tobacco for many years. Partially, I'm sure, because of my lady <laughs> nicotine in that book, Sir James Barry. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, at any rate, uh, Hauya A is a wonderful tea to go with pipe smoking. I, I enjoy uh, Hauya A with uh, a, a pipe because it's full body, but it's still very clean. So uh, it allows you to, uh, to, to take that richness from a Virginia 
or even a you know a, an English blend. Wow. I mean, it, again, the tea world is as big or bigger than the pipe tobacco world. And I guess eventually it becomes personal preference. And it always is. Yeah. And again, the, and the, and, right, the right tea, like the, the right tobacco, the right tobacco to smoke. You know, I can tell you, yeah. oh, yeah, this is the best tobacco to smoke. And I have my ideas what I think are the best tobaccos to smoke. But those are for me, you know, and, and they'll change even the course of a day. When I smoked tobacco, when I smoked a pipe a lot, I had tobaccos i smoked in the morning tobaccos i smoked in the afternoon tobaccos i smoked in the evening yeah and i you know and i would you know start out very light and i would wind up with a very rich full-bodied blend and i would usually have uh a a a, a, a flake uh in the middle you know virginia flake in the middle and uh just before i went graduated to a more of an english blend the latakia and stuff and so, like, and like for me now that we're in the warm weather, humid months here in here in North Carolina, this is the time when I have for breakfast my McCraney's Red Ribbon. And McCraney's that Red Ribbon—that's a great tobacco. Yeah. And I, we didn't even get to talk about McCraney's. And Tom is a was an old friend, and and uh, the the boys who are now you know, yeah. my gosh, you know they're not boys anymore. But that's another place, and that's another place where in Charlotte, North Carolina, and that's still there. And, you know, if, if you're ever traveling through Charlotte, North Carolina, you really ought to stop by there. That's another place where you just go in and smoke a bowl and sit at the, at the hangout and, and uh, trade stories and, and uh, take a look at his tobacco offerings and his pipe offerings. They're always interesting. He's got a full cigar humidor there. And that's a great place. Yeah. And in fact, I have a message, uh, Todd, Todd McCraney and Gib Robinson both knew I was talking to you and they both said to say hello. Oh my gosh, please send them up. Two great guys. I miss them both. Please, uh, send my very best to both of them. And another guy knew you named Mike McNeil, who I've become dear friends with. And he said to say hello to you. Well, I'll say hello right back. Who am I to not say hello? Yeah. <laughs> Hello, hello to Mike. Absolutely. Wayne, we yeah, will. Uh, a, the wonderful thing about, you know, there are friendships that are made over the, over the, the, uh, uh, over pipes and over sharing a, sitting down and sharing a bowl of tobacco. Those are friendships that are, that are very special. And you can go for decades without seeing somebody. And I, I just, my experience is you can pick right up where you left off because, uh, there's a certain camaraderie that yeah. occurs in uh, sitting down with someone and, and having a, a nice pipe. It's like the conversation never stopped. You just pick it up and, and go. Exactly. You, yeah. Exactly. There are very few things that can generate that sort of a response from people today. And the things that, that do, I think we ought to treasure. And, and the times when we're not stuck looking at some electronic thing. Except if you're I listening to, to a podcast, that as much as I can, <laughs> yeah. Brian, I really do. It's difficult, but I do try. Yeah, uh, and I and I try to encourage others to do the same. And and you know, it's important to to also, I think, the things that you treasure about our culture, whatever they are, are important to try to pass down to younger generations, introduce them to it in some way, so that if they something that they enjoy, at least they have had an opportunity to experience it and then you know a certain percentage of them will experience it and enjoy it and carry it on to the next generation but that's how things are 
passed on. If you're only smoking a bowl with a, you know, a, a bunch of old fogies, then you're not doing yourself a favor. <laughs> you're not doing the next generation a favor. Share it. You know, I always took time with, with young people who wanted to take up a pipe or were interested or would say, you know, gee, you know, he's smoking a pipe. That's very unusual. I talked to him about it. Mm -hmm. You know, we are each, if we're pipe smokers, we are each ambassadors of pipe smoking in a, an era that is increasingly hostile to any usage of tobacco. And yeah. pipe smoking is the proper use of tobacco. Whereas I said, you know, cigarette smoking earlier is a, is a bastardization of tobacco. It's improper. You're inhaling the tobacco. It's everything you shouldn't be doing. That's why it's so unhealthy. But pipe smoking actually, you know, I'm not a doctor, but pipe smoking relieves stress. And stress is the number one killer in America, not, uh, not pipe smoking, stress. So which, the things you do to relieve stress and encourage friendships and enjoy your time, those are all things uh, that I think are well chosen to do. And it's hard to say something stupid when you have a pipe stuck in your mouth, and I'm proof of that. <laughs> That's also true. <laughs> but pipe, you know, pipe smoking like a like a good cup of tea is meant to be savored, sipped, and enjoyed in a ritual of relaxation. You don't just, you know, you don't just go through the drive-through and pick up a cup of tea to drink on your the guzzle in the car while you're heading off to I see work people do that just like you see people puffing you know running outside to sit and stand in an alley and grab a quick cigarette that's not an enjoy that's a that's a <laughs> uh i don't know what that is it's either a, a it's an addiction or something it's it's not an enjoyment and you know something you can take time with and enjoy and and whether you're on your own or whether you can share it with a friend or someone else, then that's, that's something that's very different. Yeah. Wayne, we will, uh, I'll put you on the spot again. Cause I'll wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer. Uh -oh. No wrong answer. Just whatever comes You're, to your mind. You have me very frightened. And they're the same five questions that everybody gets. But since you haven't heard the show, you don't know what they are. Um, unless you've heard the show and then I'm in trouble. Uh, <laughs> Let me just give you the answers. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, we could do the old car the old Johnny Carson routine. There you go. Um, what is your favorite pipe? My favorite pipe. Mm, uh, I would probably say uh, it's a cross between a pre-transitional barling pot of all things and a Dunhill uh, Canadian. Two very different pipes that I like for very different reasons. I, you know, I, I one thing I should tell you is that mm -hmm. that I, I'm always amazed that that um, a lot of people always judge pipes by how big the bowl is and all. You know, I I enjoy. There are a few Group Three Dunhills that I really enjoy smoking. Yeah. You know, and I tend to be Group Four, Group Five, and whatever. But but that size, that that's a, a very nice size if you if you smoke correctly. It's it's uh, a delight. It begins and ends in a reasonable amount of time, and uh, uh, and it's not uh, you know something you just have stuck in your mouth all day. <laughs> what is your favorite tobacco? My favorite tobacco. I already told you this. My favorite tobacco is the old Craven A. Yeah. Um, and aside from that, um, yeah, it would be a cross between McConnell's 
I mean, uh, I mean, uh, McCraney's Red Ribbon, and maybe uh, one of the um, uh, uh, one of the, the Scottish, one of the flakes rather, from uh, Isle of Man. Mm. Uh, when it's uh, what is <laughs> I got them out of order. What is your favorite drink? My favorite drink, uh, a cognac Sazerac. Ooh, the original Sazerac. Because the yeah. substitute is with bourbon or rye, but correct. the original Absolutely was made correct. with cognac. Be You're a very knowledgeable fellow. Yes, indeed. Yeah. That's the original cocktail, and that's what I enjoy. I usually I go to craft bars where they know how to make that, and I have a full bar in my home where I know how to make that. <laughs> I did a uh, well, I, I did a Sazerac tour of New Orleans on a four-day weekend, and I had a headache the entire time and a hangover, and I absolutely loved it. Absolutely, <laughs> and I did, and I did a pipe show during that too. Um, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Um, that's difficult to. Uh, it depends on the the level of relaxation. I have a library in my home. I collect first edition books. Uh, Christopher Morley is one of the people I have a huge first edition collection of. Oh wow! And uh, I have. He was a very I mean, he was really, he wrote a lot of books and he wrote introductions and he wrote in every, but he was, a, and the, and the, and the, 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 the book that got me started was Pipefuls. Uh, <laughs> it got me started on Christopher Morley. And then I went with his first book called uh, Parnassus on Wheels, which I highly recommend. And his second book, uh, the, the sequel rather to that was called The Haunted Bookshop. Uh, so I love Christopher Morley. He was a brilliant writer. He was a Rhodes Scholar and brilliant. And uh, you know, a, a lot of the books I have in my in my tobacco collection, you know, I, I started with Ben Rappaport, who uh, is an incredibly brilliant man. Yeah. And extremely knowledgeable. You've had him on your program. Yep. And so you you know what, uh, well and good uh, what an asset he has and what a reservoir of information on the literature of tobacco uh, that he has and on pipes themselves. But, um, you know, so there's, there's so much there. So I, I love to read and I love music. And sometimes I'd like to do both at the same time. And finally, do you have a pipe smoking, a favorite pipe smoking related memory that we didn't talk about? Hmm. Let me think, boy, that's a tough one. Take your time. Um, let me see. I, I really, I think I've talked to, I mean, every, here, let me just, let me answer it this way. I don't have a bad pipe smoking memory. Uh. And I'm going to leave it at that. Every time I fire up a pipe and every time I sit down and enjoy a pipe, I love it. Now, the times when you have that perfect pipe full and you hit that sweet spot about, Oh, I don't know, maybe half, three quarters of the way down, and it just gets to where it is absolute caramelized gold. That is my favorite moment, and that happens quite often if you know what you're doing with a pipe. It doesn't happen all the time. I don't always get there, but boy, that's the magical moment. I love every time that happens. It's when you re it's when you don't realize you're smoking a pipe, and it just takes you <laughs> completely away. Yes, sir. Wayne Powers, the, again, the website for the tea company is T-Rex, T-E-A-R-E-X. 
Uh, your own personal website for is waynepowers.com. And, and I'm going to actually put a plug in. Can I yeah, put a plug in? Uh, plug anything you, you want. Know, I, 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 I'm about authenticity, as you can tell by this interview, I'm sure, in pipe tobacco and tea and whatever. Authenticity is everything to me. In people, that's why I love spending a little time with you. And, and uh, uh, authenticity in music is also very important to me. And I started in music when I was 16. And uh, I, I came out with this last year, I came out with my first album in 25 years. It's called If Love Were All. It was recorded live in the studio in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it's got some great musicians on it. We recorded it all in sequence. There are 14 tunes, three of which are currently being featured on the Sinatra channel, Seriously Sinatra on Sirius XM. It's gotten tremendous reviews and a great response and a lot of airplay. I'm really proud of it because it is a uh, a very we recorded all 14 songs in sequence. So there's a beginning, middle, and an end to the album. You can download it on MP3 like Amazon or wherever your favorite music place is. You can order it as a CD, and you could we they also put it out as a vinyl album, a an audiophile quality 180 gram double vinyl album gatefold album with the polyline sleeves and all done the right way and it's all there's no electronic anything it's piano bass sax drums and me <laughs> and it's music with the great american songbook um i'm i'm really proud of it because it's authentic and it uh, it expresses some wonderful things it's about the, the universal saga of love lost and love found and i think uh if I can uh, bring some joy and uh, music into people's lives, that makes me very happy. We will definitely check it out. You betcha. <laughs> A what? pleasure to be with you, Brian. Thanks for doing this, and uh, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll hook up one time in Chicago over a deep dish pizza. I look forward to it. And we'll be back in just a minute. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe, just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite, or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby. This is Internet Radio. We are back, and I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I really liked connecting with Wayne and uh, and getting to talk to him for a little bit. All right, for music, guess what? One of Wayne's songs off of his uh, uh, If Love Were All album. This is Wayne Powers doing All of Me. Why not take all of me? Can't you see 
I am no good without you. Take my arms. I want to lose them. Take these lips. I'll never use them. Your goodbye left me with eyes that cry. How can I go on, dear, without you? You took the part that once was my heart. So why not? Why not take all of me? And so I'm pleading, come on back, pretty baby, come back. Don't you know I can't go on and live alone without you? I beg you, darling, won't you think about my fate before it's too late? Don't be mean, I go insane. You don't wanna have to have no crazy person on your conscience. Please understand, I got no backup plan on how to live without your love. You walked off very hasty, drove me nearly crazy, got me crying like a baby. No ambition, very lazy, oh, cared for nothing at all. Oh, I can't get you off my mind, dream about you all the time. Must you be so mean and so unkind? Come and set me free. Come on, get the rest of me. Come on, come on. Me. 
The album is entitled If Love Were All. It's available off of Wayne's website and uh, downloads and all those other places. Check it out. And uh, remember, if you want tea, we found the place to go. All right, uh, no uh, no fancy transition into the mailbag because I'll save that for next week when I actually have a mailbag. Uh, just want to remind you of a couple of events coming up, including uh, the, the event that I'm sad to say I will be missing, which is the NASPC uh, show that is, uh, that is coming up August 23rd and 24th. And then the weekend after that, the uh, Mule Town Pipe Show in uh, Columbia, Tennessee, right? Yep, that's with Briarworks. And then, uh, yep, August 30th and September 1st, there it is, in Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, following that, the Greater Kansas City Pipe and Tobacco Show, September 20th through the 22nd in Kansas City, Missouri. And then uh, I do not believe I will be at Kansas City. I believe I have a conflict as well. Uh, the Richmond show where I will be at the, it's being held this year at the Sutliff Tobacco Factory. It's a one day event on Saturday, October 5th. It's going to be an all day event from morning to night. There will be, uh, in the evening, there'll be uh, music and uh, food trucks and beer and stuff and all. It's, it's going to be a whole day long fun, including uh, factory tours on Saturday. And uh, I'll be there, and I'll be recording some of you, some of your impressions, your thoughts, and uh, putting that together for future shows. So stop by and see me. Again, that's uh, Saturday, October 5th at the Sutliff Tobacco Company in Richmond. Uh, <laughs> I almost said Richmond, Tennessee. Richmond, Virginia. Uh, following that, Saturday, October 12th in uh, Fort Worth, Texas, the Texas Pipe Show at Pop Safari Room. And then new dates uh, for the West Coast Pipe Show in Las Vegas. That's November 2nd and 3rd at the Palace Station. It's the one I look forward to the most each year, and I'll be there and uh, come by and you know have fun. It's always great to go to Vegas in November, and the uh, Palace Station should be completely remodeled by then. Uh, comments or questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Uh, travel advice, you can email me, brian.levine at mei-travel.com or you know get a hold of me however you want. I don't care which email you use. I am happy to help you. It costs nothing to use my services. And uh, you know what? If I can't help you save money, I can at least give you some free advice. So reach out to me. I'll help you with anything that I can, especially some uh, some decent deals on cruises right now. And uh, those Star Wars fans, well, Disney, uh, the Galaxy's Edge is opening in uh, Walt Disney World in Florida the end of August. So hoping I get to go to a special preview of that. All right. Rant time coming up next. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. Oh boy. 
Hang on, kids. It's about time to take a ride down that slippery slope again. Now, this is pretty fresh to me, and I don't have all the details of it yet, but YouTube. Uh, YouTube, the place where you go and watch your favorite uh, YouTube pipe community videos. YouTube, anything tobacco-related will now... They will no longer allow advertising on those videos. This is the beginning, so here's how it works. A lot of YouTube video, YouTube presenters or people on YouTube with their channels, they make money off of the ads that run before the before their videos and the little pop-ups during them. Uh, not too many people in the pipe community are making a ton of money off of this, but YouTube is now taking all tobacco-related videos and canceling all the ads on them. They're not banning the videos yet. No, they're not doing that. But they are canceling all the advertising that's on them so that the people in the pipe and tobacco community will not be able to make any money off of the videos that they do. Now, here's the, here's the ironic part is if it's just an adult-oriented video, there's a button at the beginning that says this is explicit and adult-oriented. Do you still want to watch? And then here comes the ads if you click yes. It can be about sex. It can be about anything. There's liquor that is discussed on YouTube. No problems. No, all kinds of ads all over them. All kinds of stuff for alcohol, beer reviews, wine reviews, all kinds of stuff like that. But just tobacco. And this is just the beginning of the slippery slope of banning tobacco promotions uh, or tobacco videos on YouTube. It's the beginning. Watch what happens. Mark my words. You heard it here first. If we don't say something to YouTube. So there you go. I don't spend much time on YouTube watching pipe or tobacco related videos, but I just find it ironic that they've decided to pick on poor little tobacco and tobacco alone. All right, I hope everybody has a great uh, long 4th of July weekend here in the United States. I uh, hope everybody enjoyed this show. want to thank Wayne for joining me and for uh, telling some uh, great stories, and I look forward to hanging out with him in Chicago. And most of all, thank you all for tuning in. Until next time. The clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy Disco is really proof that the Bee Gees are Alvin and the Chipmunks.